This is the Chasing Tomorrow podcast with Joe Gagnon. We bring you captivating conversations that will inspire all of us to go after our own version of a high-performance life. Well, welcome to the Chasing Tomorrow podcast. I am sure you're all going to be sort of captivated by my animated guest who is becoming one of my coolest friends here because she's working on some interesting stuff I'll tell you about in a second. But so Jean was a nurse. She also then got inspired and said that health needs to be better for all of us and decided that she would go with the the place that really matters. We all care about family, right? That's integral to every one of our lives. If we ever prioritized anything, it'd be family first, right? That's how we would all start and work second and something else third like ourselves. And so I've gotten to know Jean a little bit over the past couple of months. And I think that it'd be really cool for all of you get to know her, what she's solving for and how exciting the future will be with solutions like Primary Record, where she's the co-founder of. Jean, welcome to the Chasing Tomorrow podcast. You give the best intros. Do you know that? Well, it's easy when I talk to people. When I started this, it was this idea of intriguing people doing extraordinary things. That's what you are, though. You are the archetype of what the future should look like. Someone who has a deep level of knowledge and wants to sort of magnify that back out into the world. So everything that we talk about comes from this position of expertise. And now you're saying, but I think if I put some of that into software, which is everywhere, how would the world be better, right? So let's hear the origin story. How did this all start? Did you grow up on the moon or something? Come on, tell us. No, so the origin is funny. Like it's like the the shorter version is I was a critical care nurse, second degree. Like I went back to nursing school, wanted to do something that mattered. And there I learned that I just really loved working with older adults. I loved, I was a night nurse. So I had lots of conversations with families because a lot of families would come into the ICU at night, right? But they always seemed so overwhelmed, so lost. And about six years into my critical care, definitely experienced burnout. Maybe it was a little bit of having three boys under the age of five at home was probably (laughs) leading to that as well. But I decided that I was going to see what the heck was going on out in the community. Why do these 80-year-olds end up in my ICU? This is like the worst place for 80 to be. This isn't the way to experience life. And so I called myself a nurse care coordinator. I knew nothing of what community. I I only knew hospital life. And I just uh, started getting phone calls from women, mostly, that were overwhelmed trying to navigate healthcare. And so I created this business model where I was, we were kind of creating a process of you get a call, you walk into a random older adult's home and you learn quickly that you don't have a handy electronic health record system. You're relying on someone telling you their story. Yeah. So we ended up having to create a whole process of when we onboarded a new family, we asked for patient portal access. I got there. I got really good at looking at claims data. Oh boy. And I would, I would spend 10 to 20 hours piecing together this like proud summary report that was pretty much outdated the moment I put it on a Google doc, but it was something, it was something that we used to like navigate. But Joe, like I was going to scale this with nurses. I thought nurses could solve this. I had nine nurses ready to go contracted. I had this whole name called neighborhood nurses. And that was February of 2020. Okay. So when when March hit, my whole kind of model of taking older adults to appointments and navigating healthcare just went. Right. Done. Okay. But here I sat on six years of this, like living with the problem, watching how people navigate point to point in healthcare, seeing the doctors thank me for having the whole story. 
seeing the better care someone got in their home because we could, we knew what the physical therapist wanted. We know what the urologist was looking for. We had the family giving input of what they liked or didn't like. It was just, it, it seemed like it had something there. So in my cul-de-sac is I had a neighbor, Jim McIntosh, your neighbors. Like I knew he was like a techie guy. Yeah. And so as, as the COVID veil is slowly lifting, or at least it's summer and we're allowed to go outside and talk to each other. I, I had a beer in my hand and I was look, McIntosh, like I've got, I, there's something here and I don't know what it is. So we started just kind of interviewing families and the more we talked to them, their stories were very much lining up what I saw as a nurse mm -hmm. in that there wasn't a good way. Everyone's keeping their medical history in like a random note on their app phone, like on an app in their yeah, phone. Maybe even. Yeah. Or they got a binder or whatever. They're, they're kind of self-creating these little systems. And then, then, so the question became, well, why, why are families doing this? Well, healthcare is amazing. We are living longer than we ever have where we have these procedures and medications and, and things that can extend our life as well as different exercises and, and lifestyles that we can change. And yet there's no good way to really pull it all together. So we launched Primary Record out of just talking to lots of families and from my years as a nurse and saw this problem of how do you help people get better care? Well, they need to have the whole story. And so how do we help families get that story in a way that for whatever reason, our healthcare system can't do for us? And so just really saw this like, pivotal moment of, of watching families that why can't we just attach the data to ourselves in a way that allows it to transfer easier in the system? So much, so much to pull on there. I know, sorry, that was a No, no, it's so great. So because there's the piece that's really probably a lot of people listening feel, which is elder care has become a burden in a level never sort of experienced. You Even if someone ends up in an assisted living situation at some point, there's the in-between and there's the what do I do? And how do I react? And what do I know? And yeah, you're right. People are carrying around folders with care coordination because the older we get, the more diverse the doctor set that we go to. And there is really no solution for this. And and then you show up and the, they ask you to fill out another piece of paper. And so you just get increasingly frustrated. The claims process is hard. Don't know what to do. So so I think everyone's feeling that. Is it that it's different now, Gene, like than it was 20 years ago around elder care? Or it's just that because we have technology now, we think there should be a better way? That's a really good question. I think it's, I think there's a lot of trends happening. I think I actually have a book on my shelf from like the 1980s and it mm. talks a lot about the same emotions and pain points of a, of a daughter caregiver. But I think we're about to enter a period here in the next three years where we're going to have more older adults than we ever have in our U.S. history, right? So like yep. for the first time in history, right. we're going to have more people over the age of 65 than less than 18. And yeah. that's really going to change the dynamics of our country and our care system. Because it's the human body as it ages, it's going to experience changes that often require us to visit the doctor or get certain procedures to make sure we stay well and or extend our life a little bit longer. So I think it's it's that trend, as well as a lot of other industries are using technology. And yet healthcare, when I call my doctor's office, they ask me if I have a fax machine number to get right. me my records, right? So I think there is this, there's this trend of more people are experiencing this situation. And then they're coming in into healthcare with expectations of how other industries are run. And they're like, just frustrated that they can't do those similar things. Yeah. And I think it's pretty typical kind of the innovator, the entrepreneur sees opportunity where we've evolved in some way. We're smarter, more capable. We can leverage the technology. And, and yet what's interesting here is a dynamic that says 
we're probably with health going forward, not going to only count on the system itself, the doctor's office or the insurance company to pay for it. We want to engage in our health also. That's why I want to have the information for myself, for my family, so we could sort of participate, not just be the people where something is being done to, right? And so as you think about sort of the shift, so has to go through, we put this HIPAA thing in place, this healthcare privacy, at Mm -hmm. one point probably was productive and it might be getting to a point where it could be slightly counterproductive in the way that it's, we need information to do a good thing for a patient. So we should be able to have that info, but there's a reluctance. Well, what would you do with your medical record anyway, Jean, if you had it, is what a doctor might say, right? Right. Oh, and I, I have actually heard this story a few times. Yes. <laughs> oh, we're, we're evolving. That's not going to be okay anymore. How, what do you think about that? It is a big ways away. Are we making progress in this regard? I think we are, we, we are making, HIPAA is an interesting thing because like you're as a nurse in a hospital, like you were trained. I mean, like you, you have yearly checkoffs that you have to read about HIPAA. And so yeah. I, I, when I moved out into the community, it did get like weird because it's, there is this need for information that's not coming out of the system yet. We're trying to, to take care of people more and more in their homes. And so sometimes I'd be in these like weird positions where you kind of find these shortcuts to, to bypass, not bypass him, but like get permission to get data for a good purpose. But my favorite story that I have is I remember like still in the early phase of my, like doing this care coordination and this daughter, I was like kind of hemming and hawing. And this daughter looked at me, she goes, publish it in the newspaper. But if my dad gets better care, I don't care who knows. Right. So it was like my first, like it was my first like realization that the family just wants to be taken care of. And so we need to really look at our policies and under a microscope to understand, are we doing the best in the way that we're sharing so that they don't have to, because if we don't share it, then it's on them and they're feeling it because they're not the experts with the data. And yet we're handing it to them in a way that's hard and difficult, and yet they don't have a good way to use it to get what they need out of the system. And so it's just, yeah, I, I guess the more I talked, I talked myself out of that we're making progress. Oh, no, no, we are making progress. It's just the, the hill is a big one, and there's a lot of them, and it's a $4.2 trillion industry with a lot of big corporations. There's also the humans who get the service almost wanted to work the way it used to work, which is I could go to a primary care and they knew pretty much everything about me. And it was friendly, familial, and somewhat reasonable, but it's not that anymore. And it doesn't work that way. And that you rarely see the same person again. And what do they know about you anyway? And we should actually share information more broadly. You wouldn't want to not know about someone like you if they lived in Seattle and you were in Boston, because that might be helpful. And so we do have to get to a place where we share information and not exploit it. We already get exploited every day anyway, by the way. You know, you get your Google email once a month that says, these were the cities you were in. We've been tracking you. And this is how much time you did this, this, and this. And you're like, oh, all that. All right. Archive. Good. Layer over your credit card information. And now we've already exposed everything that matters. So what's the heck of my blood pressure? Right. So... So I think that we have to keep pushing this direction and I think making that data accessible. So one of the things that you touched on, which is also this another emerging sort of perspective, which is where does the burden end up lying? And you've brought up the daughter quite a few times. And I think it's one of these societal kinds of situations that's both unfair and not appreciated. That what happens when the aging parent is aging and needs care? And how does that happen 
and is this person informed or or burdened? And then imagine if you had to put them into any of these care situations, wildly expensive. Yes. So that who can even afford it? So as you think about primary record, how does it sort of sit in that world? Does it make it easier, better for these people who are becoming their own primary care advocates for their family? It's literally the the product that we're building is like we just had a big meeting of who is that ideal customer? And it is it is a woman in her 40s or 50s. She's got probably kids that may be transitioning out of the home. She's got a spouse or a partner. And then she's got these parents that are She's just starting to worry about, right? Like she's hearing these stories of like more medications, more doctors. And she has this mental note, ah, I got to get in there, right? Because we're very protective of our family and we're, it's interesting. I always, when I worked with 80 year olds, there was such a trust of the system. But then as you like get down the spectrum, there's this mistrust and it's, yeah. it's, and it is, it comes from a lot of drop balls. And so I meet a lot of women that jump in getting involved because they're seeing their parent not heard or they're seeing just pills and procedures thrown at them in those like 10 minutes and not someone that takes the moment and really looks at the whole situation to figure out what's important or what's really needed in this situation. And so that woman that kind of what our application is kind of aiming to do is, look, we know you're jumping into these situations. You have this mental load in your head, keeping track of where everybody is, what's going on, what's changing, what needs to happen next, the to-do list of, oh, I need to call back that claims because the prior auth was denied. Because like all of these jobs to be done that our healthcare system dumps on our families, this someone, if the person that's older can't do it, has to do it in order for that care to get delivered. And so our product has this ability to allow that mental load to be dumped in So there's a place to put medications. There's a place to keep track of the doctors that you're seeing. It has a way to smartly connect that information. And the most important piece, it empowers that person to invite other people in for support. Yeah. So the idea that the daughter just used to have a binder. Well, if the binder gets long or you forget the papers, right? Like you can't update it and you're the only one holding it. And so, and then to hand it off, you have to explain and go through, oh, here's the binder. Here's where I put this. Here's how to find it. Now it's, let's standardize that for families. Let's create a system that everyone can have the same language and invite people in around that data, around that person, so that we all can communicate the same thing and, and in a way that helps us also talk to our doctors consistently so they know what's the next plan, what's the next thing to do. Yeah. I, it's so interesting, that the information empowerment and how we have these silly examples all the time. We might invest in a 401k when we're growing up because it's a long-term value creation opportunity, save for the future, save for whatever reasons, and we'll do that. And and we want to look at our portfolio over time and we want to understand how all this happens. And then we hit our health and it's like, like opaque. Well, we no- and I think, there's, I think there's a reliance that we just assume it's in the system. And, oh, what system? Right. And, 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 and the, or it seems like there's always some kind of data. So someone must be tracking it somewhere. And what we found, it's, that's why we're like primary record, we're focused really on the medically complex because those are often the families. Mm. They have more than three doctors. They're on more than five medicines. Mm. They understand that their data is in many places and it's on them to keep it stored. Because I think there's just a misconception. And there's actually research that showed even if you're doing the same healthcare system to the same healthcare system, your data is likely to follow you 66% of the time successfully. 
if it's between two different electronic healthcare systems, it's about 27%. Because and, and and I had a friend, I had a, a woman ask me, she said, well, how do I know if the doctor's going to have it or not? Because they're both on my chart. And you're, you don't know because it's just this, you don't know if the contract that this specialist is on the same contract as your health system. And so you're hoping that they're exchanging information. And then it's only through those moments that the family realizes when they show up and they don't have the labs or they don't know what the cardiologist said. And that's when you just see families just jumping in and making their own notes and making their own Google sheets and, and whatever they're doing today. And it's just asinine, Joe. Like, mm, <laughs> we yeah, have to come up with something better. The most important information you could use around your health, right? I mean, we need information to make decisions, right. care coordination, which you're talking about. Everyone knows this starts to happen, especially as you get a little bit older. But if you have a young child who's got an issue, they're going to lots of different doctors too. And so it, it does hit the range. It, it may be episodic at different moments that we could probably predict. But when that happens, it's really important. You don't want to try and create it at that moment. No, and it's and when you were asking about like a lot of people, oh, why should the family have this? And it's uh, it's just and and I really challenge any doctor or nurse that thinks that like putting data in the family's hands is annoying or extra time yeah. for them is not the case. You have not experienced the stories. I'm sure you hear them too, Joe, of mm-hmm. someone that just happened to be in a different state in an emergency and they have no information to help that person in an emergency, right? And so that, and I've lived in those care teams as well, being a nurse and flying completely blind in the ICU or in an ER setting. And then after the fact, learning that someone was a DNR or someone had a massive allergy, right? Like those are scary. Those are the scarier situations that we don't talk about, but having data, but timing data, like we just can't seem to figure it out in the system. And so that's a little bit of our thesis at Primary Record is like the family is there and they're the most invested in that patient. So let's give them a tool to be able to share that story at the time that's needed. I have this crazy fantasy around information capture and health, right? So become captivated by the idea of health span, not lifespan, better quality of life, lifestyle choices. Too often we're making choices without enough information. We're measuring infrequently, looking for patterns in infrequent data is never a good idea. So my sort of funny fancy is 100 million people walk into a Walmart every week around the United States. And in the front of almost every Walmart is a blood pressure cuff. And so every time I go into a Walmart, I measure my blood pressure and I measure my blood pressure more at Walmart than I do at the doctor's office, which is once a year. Like it's the dumbest idea. Once a year, you measure my blood pressure. What are you going to know from that? Like really nothing. So imagine a world where we started to, through the daily activities, we start to capture this data. We go into Walmart and yeah, maybe they need more of them if we were capturing it for everyone. Maybe not everyone would do it. But imagine if you had weekly blood pressure data for people who live paycheck to paycheck, you would start to be able, and it's in their record, it would signal something. It would say, hey, by the way, you think, and I know we can wear a smartwatch and those things are also similar, right? But but there are these points of data gathering that we start to build a more robust picture of our health. And then you could say, look, type 2 diabetes is predominantly a lifestyle disease, you know? And so what if we could help people think a little bit differently about it and use the likes of a primary record as the place to say, well, I now have confidence I'm going to be able to see data over time. 
and capture it, even when I don't need it, because it's going to help tell a story. I don't know. Do you think much about, I know, I know that's like so much no, further it's, it's down throwing the lots of, It's throwing lots of ideas. Because here's the other thing that like our healthcare system is so overwhelmed and we put right. so much hope on our nurses and doctors to do the education. And yet the, the way the, the, the infrastructure and the payment and reimbursement is, is we don't get a lot of time with, with, nope. our, with our patients or to educate families. And so that's the like piece that like the dream for me, like with primary record is doing some of that heavy lifting off of our system. And if you have a place that families are putting multiple sources of data from that blood pressure cuff, from the, the, the random urgent care, and then this health system, and then that doctor, like think about the impact you could do in just educating someone smartly, right? Because now you can use AI and now you could use different things that geolocation, like thinking like of, of how to help someone that's trying to collect their kind of health story to better understand, am I doing everything right? Right. Am I doing the best for myself and my family? You know, because you often don't get that from the healthcare system, right? They're just there to kind of check a box, take a vital sign and see you next year. There's so much data points after you, like you were saying that we could better kind of like look at and analyze and, and, do education or point people to resources in their community so that it doesn't always have to be that poor primary care office that's like no. counted on for everything. <laughs> yeah, the, look at stock charts, but no health charts. No, it, it is, uh, it's just another part of the sort of the narrative, right? Which says that we need to be participants in our health journey yeah. and that yeah, I actually agree with you. you know, I think doctors and nurses are still beautiful people doing beautiful stuff. We have pharma companies who are building out some therapeutics that are changing the nature. We've done a lot, but the system itself is not aging us. And there are issues that could show up in the data. And if well, you have access to it. And it takes like, if there, even if there is something new and innovative, like in something, it takes often 10 to 15 years for the system right. to find out about it, right? So think about more how, more, like if we could figure out how to better, I mean, profile people, that doesn't seem like a very nice word, but what, you know what I mean? But if you can profile people and better target based on their own medical story that, because right now, like nobody has that full story, even your doctor going in and, and then using that technology to, to figure out what's happening new and is there something like an intervention? Because often that's done by the families. I, I meet amazing women who are up all night researching what's the best mm, because they're right, not getting it right. from their doctors. They're they're reaching out to their communities on Facebook. They're asking other moms. They're doing their own PubMed research, trying to understand what to do for their child. And often those are just amazing stories where they are the one to discover the breakthrough for their kid. And that's crazy to me. <laughs> that, so early in my athletic endeavors, without any visibility that had anyone had into what I was doing. And I went for my annual physical and the doctor said, after some bunch of stuff, they like do the test. Oh, you have an enlarged heart and this could be a big problem. Mm -hmm. So we go through all this testing and blah, blah, blah. And months and months and months later, someone finally said, are you like an athlete or a runner or something? Yeah. Oh, okay. That explains the whole situation. They would have, should have asked in the beginning, had they had my data from my watch, they would have known, but instead they- You're a ridiculous endurance athlete. <laughs> right. But they interpret the, the data, not in the context of the human. So enlarged heart might be problematic, except it's a muscle 
and my muscle grew bigger because I was using it every stinking day. So, but I never thought to say to them when they, because they're giving no, you're you- just the, saying, right. Like you just think they know you as a person. Well, yes. Like, oh my God, I got this problem. And then I don't really have a problem. Oh boy. But oh it, my God. That, yeah. That reminds me of a, I took care of an Ironman athlete in the hospital one time and I walked in and I can't even remember. There's a, there's a drug off of the code cart for a really slow heart rate. And he had vials of it on the top of his deck. And I looked at it and then I looked at him and I go, you're an athlete, aren't you? And he's, yeah. He goes, is that what nurses, I mean, his heart rate was like 35 or 40, but it was perfect because he's a well-conditioned heart. So I, I like wrote a big chart, nurses, this is normal for him. Right. But if we have data, it tells yes. us a story, right? Just in a in a funny way, I'm like sort of captivated by this post I did on Instagram because I was watching a video and there was a guy, he's probably 85, and he was doing this interview. And in it, he said, went to Harvard, and the Harvard alumni study went and looked at exercise, and they said that for every hour you exercise, you extend your life by three hours. And so the guy's, oh, I guess I should stop the interview and start exercising. So I pull up my spreadsheet, and I've been tracking what I've been doing for the past 23 years, and it added up, I have 19,500 hours of exercise. I know that's sort of ridiculous. So then you multiply gene times three, and then you get to 59,000. Then you divide by the number of hours in a year, and you get to 6.7 years health span increased because of the exercise they did over 23 years. Now, whether the data is perfect or the whole study is perfect, but the key was that I actually, I actually have how many hours I exercised every year for the past 23 years. I have that piece of data. Like if we said to someone, no one would know the answer to that question. So when the guy says, one for three, you know, that's great, but I don't have any idea what I did. So back to the data, yes. right? We get the data, the data, the data, stupid. And I mean, that's what, I mean, that's what so much of the data, like I always tell people doctor's appointments are like the worst run business meetings. Yeah. Like it's like you come in, no one knows the clear objectives. You're not even speaking the same language and you only have 15 minutes to make a really big decision about your life. Oh my gosh. I haven't thought of, I mean, that is what happens. Other than to have you sitting in a so like, room. So what, what we're doing is like trying to think, okay, you get the data because we like big at primary record, we always think of the so what, right. why, right? So what you have all your data, what are you going to use it for? And so an um, overwhelming thing of da daughters that we found is just relaying that story. I mean, as simple as the medication list. So we give you a button that says, print me a summary of my medications so yeah. that you just have a piece of paper that can easily and quickly explain something that's often, I watch my dad fumble on his notes on his phone, scrolling the back and forth between the nurse and him. And it took like 10 minutes where if like a piece of paper that, or even my one day hope of being able to put primary record info back into the EHR, right. that could be done even before the visit, right? And so then we don't even have to do medication reconciliation and waste time on it. So- Anyway, lots of yeah. dreams. Hey guys, Joe Gagnon, host of the Chasing Tomorrow podcast. And this episode is brought to you by 1UP Health. 1UP Health is a modern cloud data and interoperability platform that makes it easy to acquire, store, and share data between payers, providers, and patients. I hope you enjoy the episode. Oh, no. <laughs> I think that there's, on this personal level, but the other thing that's really interesting is that there is really no world where there is the language in the industry is this longitudinal patient record, a record mm -hmm. over time, right? Because if you moved, if you changed health plans, if you changed doctors, there is no consolidation, right? This is, we all think that there's a medical record somewhere that has all our information. How many do you think, 
it even possible that any one record has it all? It's just uh, actually a null set here. No, right. And I we even learned, I saw a tweet about from a, someone like when your system changes health, like EMR systems, they were warning their patients that all their data was going to be gone. And I'm, so even if you did have like all of your data in one, and then the hospital system decided to save a few bucks and switch to this other vendor, there goes all your data. In, in the world before, we had truly only paper records. Imagine if your record was misfiled, it would never be found again. Right. Then we created microfiche. But the truth of the matter is that I think going forward, we're not going to be able to play with our health in the same way. Because as we live longer, the cost of care goes up because that last couple of years, yeah, maybe if everyone's passing away at 70, that's different. But if everyone's passing away at 90 in the last two years times more people, it becomes actually catastrophic to the economy, to each individual. Only a very few can get the right care. So, I mean, it actually has like material financial in addition to personal benefit. A hundred percent. And that's, and those were the struggles. I mean, often most of the calls I would get when I was running kind of that service space of like care provision, <laughs> I, it seemed to always be in those last two years. Like it was yeah. just a struggle, right? Because you, you're worried about your parents' safety at home. You, you're seeing falls or you're seeing memory loss. Like there's just all of this worry. And then, but then yet at the same time, there's still a human being with medical problems. So then you're like trying to make decisions. Do you do the surgery or not? Right. Oh, and, and, and do you yeah. add another pill or, and so, so much of when we first, like the nurses and I just had really amazing nurses to step in and really pull all the data together. And I don't know how many aha moments we would have with that family of being, this is what my parent is facing. And it's yes. So what matters, right? And I mean, and it was so, I think that's why I have such a, I mean, I love older adults. I feel like if anyone is struggling in life, just go hang out in assisted living, like with 80 year olds, because it just gives you perspective on life so much. The things that matter to them, like we would make decisions because my mom and dad don't want to spend a minute apart. So if we had a procedure... Oh, we're not going to do it because it's going to, it's going to make them have weeks where they're not together. And that's the most important thing to them right now. Right. Yeah. So it's being allowed to make those decisions. But I think it comes from an understanding of what you're dealing with and what's going on and, and an understanding of what that future looks like with that, that disease or, or that thing. But I don't know. I just was really, I just loved hanging out. I still do like not with 80 plus year olds. Well, I mean, maybe this is like the the news headline, but we're all going to age. You're born you know, to die? Is that the thing? Yeah, You're born like, to die? We stay 25, 30. It's always fine. Sort of the ageism problem is always ironic because why would you do to someone you don't want someone to end up doing to you at some point in time? Right. Like, just be a little bit careful with that. Do you think that, so, all right. So let's talk for a second about like technology adoption, people mm -hmm. wanting to use this. Are they afraid of the device? Is it easy to use? Someone wants to use primary record. Tell us a little bit about what would that experience be like and who would it be good for? No, it's been, it's been fun to learn. Like one of our biggest hurdles right now is people, am I allowed to make a primary record for somebody else? Like that oh, was right. a fascinating question for us, right? Because yeah. of those feelings of HIPAA are right now. But yet if I ask them, did your mom and dad give you the password to their patient portal? Yeah, I have it. Um, then you're allowed to make a primary record. We only can connect to one-up health data if you have that ability to prove to us that you have some kind of level of trust to access that system, right? And then mm -hmm. we'll fix identity proofing. That's like another, that's probably part two of all of this, but it's, it's, so you make it kind of whoever's that organizer, that, that go-getter in the family, that when you have that itch that you need to start 
making and pulling information together because you feel kind of like out of control of what's happening. Someone can make a primary record today. And then one of the first questions we ask is, is it for you or for someone else? And, right. and, and then from there, I think the most powerful screen we have that I always love showing people is my family. So it's that ability to make multiple mm -hmm. medical profiles all in one place of the people that I care for. Yeah. And, then, and then in my bottom layer is it's the people that take care of themselves yet in an emergency I should access. So those are my parents and that's my spouse. Mm -hmm. So that ability kind of in our family, figure out how we share is, is kind of the, the big value that we have at the moment. So if I'm just a regular person, I can download an app from the app store. We're not at the app store level yet. So we okay. are, we're, we're iterating really fast. And so it's mm -hmm. easier like on a, so we're on any desktop or a browser on your phone that you can save as a mobile app on your phone, which yep. we're happy to help. You can interact with primaryrecord.app is, is where we're at. Okay. So yeah, so I'm on my computer. I can build my primary record there. And then one day it'll be this app that starts to integrate. And so then, and then how do you feel or how do you guys think about, it? so there's the, we'll call it the formal information it goes into a medical record or it goes into some lab system or it goes into a claim means it's been paid one way or another. But then there's all this other information, these devices, I might be wearing an Apple watch that gets data. I might, you know, run on a treadmill and it gets data or there's a lot of other information devices that capture health data. Are you guys thinking about how that comes together as well? A hundred percent. I mean, it's it's looking at right now the the formal and informal. So we have more right. of the the ability to upload and scan in like documents have. So like we still are getting handed paper in healthcare. So like we yeah, had to acknowledge right. that in our our application, and we're at that early stage of using technology that can lift the words off the paper to be able to structure right. it. And so we're excited about that. But yes, like very much like a looking at that future. So, I mean, I think of the the kids with the diabetes, right? How do you put that data in along with the right. health visits and, and medications and have in one place? So yeah, that, that is definitely a dream there is to kind of integrate into a platform that can be more centralized for families. Because like you, I've seen so many women who just have an app folder and it's like the diabetes, here's the portal, here's right. the, you know, the thing that I check gluten free on and it's everyone has an app and it's, mm -hmm. I think we're at this like pivotal moment where it's like we, families need a central place. So looking at building that would be really, really ideal. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's always been this thing that I've been a lot. I love to have had all of my blood test work for the past 20 years so that I could look at hematocrit level and hemoglobin and all these data. These are markers of my performance, really, at some day. They're also a marker of other issues, potentially, but maybe you get a PDF if you're lucky in your once-a-year journey. It is interesting to see that there are companies starting up that'll do independent blood work. You can go and get it done, and they'll they'll be able to write the request through a doctor and but you get your own data so it is interesting so you can get outside the system it's a little bit costly today yeah uh, to do it but that's another part of this journey which is okay let's really think about this do i what do i need to see a primary care or some person for if i'm relatively healthy it's just really the labs that come from the cup that i use and the blood <laughs> that's taken so if i could do that two or three times a year at a low cost and have that data and then if there's a exception, then we go see someone. How do you, do you think that we're going to move in that direction at all? I, it's interesting because I, I do a lot of advocacy work with them and because nurse practitioners are looking into like being a part of the primary care. I think there's, I think there's a huge opportunity to figure out who really needs to see a doctor 
who really needs just to, to maybe have kind of that virtual service yeah. and who could see a nurse practitioner. And I think we're just starting to learn like what lanes and how to, you know, mm-hmm. triage patients into the right way more efficiently. But right now we just have expect everyone to go to a primary care doctor. And now you wait four months because like you forgot to make the appointment for your kids. And so you're just waiting again. So like the point, I mean, it's just the trend is just like ready to like burst to figure out how to better innovate so that people stay well. It, like having touch points to care or some way to have a check of your kind of record is going to become critical to to have eyes on making, because we know that if you keep waiting, it just becomes more costly. And so the, the, the big piece in the prevention space is, I mean, I think that's an awesome idea of how do you just run the labs and like have someone check over and go to Walmart and get your blood pressure and then you're good. Yeah. I think that the, well, in every dimension of our lives, we can get higher quality data in more real time. Let's just make better decisions. And I think that that's sort of the goal that we collectively have, which it's a big system. Yeah. And so it's not simple to just wave our hands and make that happen. However, in the next five to 10 years, there's a couple of things. One of the weirdest things anyone ever told me, which is imagine the oldest someone ever lives is 150. Just imagine that for a second. So in the next 115 years, everyone who lives on the earth will have been gone and will be replaced by another 8 billion people. And so, whoa, like that's just crazy. So when we think change won't happen, it will happen because we'll have a complete group of people who are different, who didn't have any of those experiences from the past. And so, so it's only a timing question. And what we want to try and do is accelerate so we don't have to wait for that order of magnitude change. We want to change when we're here, right? Now, the next yeah. generation. I, I love the, the way you came at this, right? You care about people. You care about care. You're inquisitive and curious and can learn from it. What are some of the other parts of that you've learned in doing this, both about people's health and in the way the system operates that both give you pause and also give you excitement about what's next? Oh, well, I think the, I think the exciting thing for me is the thing that I've learned is this moving away from this whole, it's a doctor and a patient. Like mm. I think care is in context of a community and it's trying yeah. to figure out who that community is and, and, and who can kind of be a part of that. So, so kind of the next phase for primary record is we have like the family having that primary record, but how do we create that network effect? So how do we, how do we get the home care on primary record integrating and, and connecting in a way yeah. to get the data they need so they don't have to do the same thing of collecting data and getting access in a, a more streamlined way to take care of someone that they just also walk into a house. So that's that's probably the next big phase for us that I'm excited about is I, I'm not interested in a siloed system or yeah. just even family, right? Like family is wonderful and we're learning to, because I think that's the big question everybody has is why does family want data and can you engage them? And once we kind of prove that, it's like figuring out then how do we kind of expand that circle into the community that needs that data just as much as that family in those episodic moments to make change and to make a, to create a better care experience. And then, I mean, the piece that we are, I, the, I mean, you can't ignore I even even hate using the word AI, Joe. We we call it LLM in in our world, a large language model. But the ability to have the most personalized search, like what's the first thing you do when you hear a weird, funky diagnosis from your doctor? You go to Google, right? But then can you imagine Googling with against your personalized health record to understand really what does that diagnosis mean for you compared to like your history and everything? So those are the probably two big things that I'm excited about, like in this upcoming year of what we're tackling and, and trying to do at Primary Record. 
Yeah, I think that it doesn't have to be a scary thing. It doesn't have to just look, you trust the person you're talking to. You would want to validate sometimes with another opinion if necessary, if it doesn't feel right. And I think AI can just be complementary to what we're trying. Like, hey, ask it a question. You don't have to just only believe the answer. Maybe then we need triangulation, but. Oh yeah, it's it's been fun. My, I handed it to my son and I was here, ask it, ask the AI anything. And he's, what's seriously wrong with me? And it found when he had a subdural uh, hematoma from falling out of a tree. And he's wow. like, I didn't know I had that. Yeah, that's great. That's a good example of information <laughs> retrieval working to our benefit. To help uh, us share our stories, yep. Yeah, as we think about sort of like I always said, the the chasing tomorrow kind of life that I've been leaning into here, which is let's lean into tomorrow, meaning that we're going to try and make it better. What what else would you like people to think of? How would people get in touch with Primary Record? What what would you like to tell everyone listening? Oh my goodness, I just I mean I want to I I. I think there's still a lot of unknowns of what families expect and want. And so for me, it's, it's please download or go to our website, learn about what we're trying to do, know that we're real people trying to be as transparent in this as possible and tell us what we're not solving for your family. Because at the end of the day, I want a product people use. I want a product that actually helps. I'm not in this to just throw junk into the world. Like I, I, I secretly too, just am tired of my nursing friends re-entering data from system to system. There's a Oof. way to, to, we've got a lot of inefficiencies to, to take care of in healthcare. So not even families, like if you're someone that is in those kind of agencies out in the community and you're using these weird products or Microsoft, we've even heard people that use just the OneNote or, or an Excel sheet to take care of like the people talk to us, tell us what you're needing and, and the pain points you're having. Cause there is a ton of data out there that we can be using to better take care of each other. And so let's figure that out together. Yeah. I just, just chuckle that primary record wasn't a name already used before. It seems like such a, which is funny. Cause a lot of people like, will call us primary care. Like it's funny, like people still yeah. miss. So we're still, but yeah, we, we had a lot of different names for our company and it was, and I, I think the domain was reasonable. It wasn't ridiculous like some of the other ones. So we snagged it. I like it. I think that tells us a story in the name. Jean, we're all better off as a community for what you and your team are working on, moving us in a direction of at the family level, helping us all navigate the hardest parts and hardest times, improving health span with better information and being supportive of, of everyone in the toughest moments. And so keep doing what you're doing. We appreciate it. It's valuable to our community and the world at large. So thank you. Well, you're welcome, Joe. Now I'm going to shrink my head so I can fit through the doorway. All right. All right. Have a good one. Thanks, team. Thank you.